It's also a privilege to hear God's word. And this morning, before we hear the sermon text from John chapter 21, I'd like to read briefly from the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. And these verses are are very important for our, our sermon text this morning. So Luke 22, I'd like to read verses 31 through 34, and then move on to verses 54 through 62. So the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, beginning at verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And now skipping down to verse 54 in the same chapter. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And now turning to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, looking at verses 15 through 17. Chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let us pray. A gracious God and Father, what a privilege it is to hear the living and true God speak to his people through this living and active word. And we are told in Scripture that there are times when your word is like a hammer and it smashes our pride. There are other times it is like a fire 
that purges. It is like a sword, a double-edged sword that cuts deep and exposes our thoughts and motives. But Father, it is also a balm to come and to heal. And to us, it is more precious than gold, even fine gold. It is sweeter than honey. And Father, you see into our hearts and you see what we need and how your word needs to penetrate into our hearts this morning. Only you can see this. So we pray that you would fulfill this ministry by your Holy Spirit, taking the word of God and ministering it to us according to our needs. And Father, we praise you ahead of time for the good work that you will do. Only help us now to receive your word in faith and in humility and with a view towards obedience. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a friend of mine, his name was Arthur Kushke. I was his uh, pastor for 12 years in Philadelphia. And he was the librarian at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia for 35 years. And when I knew him, he'd already been retired from the position almost 20 years. So he was getting up there in days. He told me back in the day, uh, Westminster used to have this reception for international students especially for them, to make them feel welcome. And Arthur took up this conversation with this young man and began to talk with him and asked him what he'd like to do. And he said, I'd like to read. And he said, what do you like to read? And he says, oh, I love literature, especially plays. He says, oh, really? Like, which ones? He says, oh, English, English literature. He says, oh, well, who's your favorite author? He says, oh, Chakras Piare. My friend said, Shakas Piotti, that sounds Italian, that doesn't sound English. Shakas Piotti, who is Shakas Piotti? He said, Shakas Piotti, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Hamlet, As You Like It, To Tame a Shrew, Shakas Piotti. He says, oh, Shakespeare. He says, yeah, Shakas Piotti. So I'm going to talk to you about Shakespeare for just a moment. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's Shakas Piotti. I don't know, that sounds more interesting to me. So Shakespeare wrote a play, King Lear. At the very beginning of this play, King Lear says to his three daughters, Regan, Goneril, and Cordelia, he's going to divide his kingdom into three sections to give each of them a section of the kingdom, but there's a little provision. He says, I'm going to give the largest share to that daughter of mine who can prove to me and demonstrate to me that she loves me more than her sisters do. And so Regan and Goneril immediately to speak of their undying love for their father, how their love is incomparable to their sisters, that neither the sisters can begin to touch how much and how deeply and how earnestly they love their father. Of course, they're lying to their teeth. I mean, this is Shakespeare, right? They're, they're lying. But the third daughter, Cordelia, has been silent the whole time. Kingler turns to her and says, you're silent. Do you have nothing to say? She says, nothing. He says, don't you, don't you love me? She says, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I am soon to be wed. And God commands me to love my husband. So how can I make this promise to you when I'm commanded to love him and to love him like no other? The king is furious. He immediately disherits her completely. There'll be no dowry for her husband and actually exiles her from the kingdom. I don't want to give away everything because I know you're going to rush home and want to read Shakespeare. <laughs> but for you young people who might be forced to, to read this play, let me just tell you that Reagan and Goneril betray their father. 
exile him out of the kingdom, gouge out his eyes. And of course, everybody dies miserably because this is Shakespeare. It's miserable. It's terrible. Why would anybody read this? You should read it. Do you love me more than these? That's in our text. That sounds like King Lear, doesn't it? On the surface, it seems to be the very same question. Do you love me more than these? And we have to be frank. Sometimes church can feel a little bit like a competition. As if I'm supposed to to feel like I'm more committed than other Christians. And perhaps we can even begin to tell ourselves, well, I do find myself serving my brothers and sisters more than my other brothers and sisters. And perhaps I am a little bit more obedient and faithful. And to be candid, I'm more honest. I'm more humble than the other members of the congregation. We can say things like that and fool ourselves in thinking it is a competition, it's a race, I need to get ahead of other people. On the other side of this are church members who very much feel like they can compete and church members who feel like, well, everybody in this church knows their Bible so much better than I do. Or they walk into a church like this and say, I think everybody went to seminary, everybody has a theology degree. They all seem to know everything about theology. Or they know very well that they are not the most faithful member of this church and feel second-rate and feel like they're surrounded by good people because they do not love God as much as all these other people do. Church can feel that way sometimes, if we're honest about ourselves. Is that what Christ is asking in this text? Well, let's find out. So the three points, you see them in the bulletin, the question, the answer, and then the only question that should be in the singular. That's my mistake. I send it that way. The question, the answer, and then thirdly, the only question. That's how we're going to organize our thoughts this morning. So here comes the question in verse 15. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Only three possible ways we could understand that phrase because of the word these. Uh, For you grammarians, everybody else, you can just close your, your ears for a few seconds. It's both masculine or neuter. It could be a thing or it could be people. So that's why we have three possible options, three ways to understand, do you love me more than these? Well, perhaps the first way to take it is like this. Do you love me more than these things? Now, why do I say that? If you look at the the preceding 14 verses, what has happened? Uh, the, The disciples have just brought in a big catch of fish, 153, and they came to the shore. Jesus is cooking a breakfast there with bread and fish. And so right there beside them are the boats and the nets. And perhaps Christ is going this, do you love me more than these things? Fishing, your job, your former life, something like that. That's possible, but I don't think that's right because there are three other professional fishermen here as well. Andrew, James, and John also were fishermen their whole life. Why would Christ not ask them the same question if that's what he has in view? I don't think that's the question. Second way we could take it is like this. Do you love me more than these others? In other words, do you love me more than you love your fellow disciples? Do you love me more than you love your brothers or mankind, something like that? That would be an appropriate question. Christ actually asked that question in the Gospels. Anybody who does not love me more than they love their family is not worthy of the kingdom, he says. So that's, that's a legitimate question. But I don't think that's the question either. Because again, we ask ourselves, why is he not asking that question to everybody else? Do you love me more than you love your brothers? Do you love me more than you love... That's not what he's doing. So it leaves the third option. And it seems the less likely. 
Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Is your love for me greater than the love of your brothers for me? And you're thinking, that can't possibly be the question. That's the question. You're saying, why is he doing that? Why would he be singling out Peter and asking him that question? The reason he's doing that is because he's alluding to Peter's boast. This is exactly what Peter had claimed. Peter had claimed that he was more devoted to Christ than the other disciples were. He had boasted that he was more loyal than all the other disciples. In fact, he was saying that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples. Let me give you three examples. Matthew 26, 33. Peter says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter's saying, all these other disciples, I could see them falling away. They're weak. I will never fall away. That was his boast, his words. Luke 22, 33, we just read this a few minutes ago. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And that passage follows just after a passage where the disciples were arguing with each other about what? Who is the greatest disciple? That's the context of that. And that's what uh, Peter is saying. I'm ready to go with you to death. Or in John 13, verse 37, he says this, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Christ says, will you? Will you? He says, the rooster will not crow tonight until you deny me three times. This is exactly what Peter was saying in these three passages I read. He was saying that he, he loved Christ more than his brothers love Christ. That's exactly what he's saying. And so Christ is alluding to that, but more immediately, what is he doing? He's recalling what just happened, Peter's threefold denial that we read in Luke 22, where Peter follows at a distance in the courtyard and a girl comes up to him and says, this man also was with him. He says, I don't know him. And another man comes up to him and says, I think this is also one of his, his disciples. And he says, man, I am not. And a third guy comes up an hour later and says he has to be one of his disciples. He's a Galilean. Listen to his accent. He says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster starts crowing. But Luke records for us something the other gospel accounts do. At that very moment, Peter turns and Jesus is looking at him in the face. Across the courtyard, Jesus looks at Peter. In the eye. Can you imagine that? And right then he remembers Jesus' words but the rooster would start crowing and he would deny him three times. And we read that Peter runs from the garden weeping bitterly. We read in verse 17 here that Peter's grieved. Why? Because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? So Christ is reflecting simply what happened with Peter three times. So what the great physician is doing here, Jesus is digging up this memory. It's very fresh. It's raw. It's painful. It hurts. You think Peter has, talk, has thought about much else since he did this? And what Christ is doing is he's kind of stirring up Peter's heart. And what he's bringing to the surface is repentance and humility. And for Peter to see himself for what he is and to see the words that he spoke. And what's really happening here, it's not really a question, is it? It's more like a lesson. 
And what Christ is doing, he's saying, do you still see yourself as more committed to me than everybody else? Is that, do you still maintain that position? Do you still insist that you are the greatest of my disciples? Are you going to continue to still boast that you love me more than these other men love me? That's the question. Peter had better be very careful in his answer. And here comes the answer. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, I need to stop here for a moment because some of you have heard this passage perhaps preached or taught and it went something like this, that Christ is using a special word for love. He's using the divine word for love, the word agape. But here it's a verb, agapeo. But Peter is using a word that, that really means like. It's like he's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. It's, Peter's saying basically, I'm giving you a side hug, Jesus, something like that. That's what people say. And it's true that you have two different words being used here. So just forgive me for a moment with this Greek. So in verse 17, Peter, do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Peter, do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. But in verse 17, Christ says, do you phileo me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. So some people are saying that by the third time, Christ is saying, well, all I'm going to get is like, so I'll just go with that. That's good enough. Okay. Is that what's happening here? No. Definitely we're getting two different words, but that's not what is happening here. These words are used interchangeably. They significantly overlap, but they're being used interchangeably. Let me give you three examples of this. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. This gospel speaks about that in chapter 11. But you know what's interesting? In chapter 11, uh, verse 5, it says, Jesus agapeo, Lazarus and his sisters. Same chapter, we come to verse 36. Phileo, Lazarus. Two different words. This is a gospel written by the, quote, disciple that Jesus loved. That phrase is used in this gospel to describe John. And we're told about this love that in chapter 13, verse 23, it's agapeo. And chapter 20, verse 2, it's phileo. But here's the most important example. More than the other gospels, we read in this gospel of the love and the interactions in the Trinity. And here we read in this gospel of how the Father, God the Father, loves God the Son. And so what do we read in chapter 3, verse 35, is that the Father agapeo the Son, and we come to chapter 5, verse 20, the Father phileo the Son. And I can guarantee you it's not saying that the Father merely likes the Son, or that the Father is side-hugging the Son. That is not the point. He loves the Son. These words are being used interchangeably. And in fact, these are not the only two words that are being used synonymously. There are four groups of words in these three verses where this is happening. Look at what Christ says in verse 15. He says, feed my lambs. But then in verse 16, he says, tend my sheep. And then he goes back to feed in verse 17. And look how he speaks of the flock. He talks about the lambs in verse 15. Then he goes to sheep in verse 16 and sheep in verse 17. And there's a fourth word. You can't see it in English, but it's the word no. Where Peter says, you know that I love you, verse 15. You know that I love you, verse 16. But in verse 17, he says no two times. Guess what? He uses two different words, gnosko anoida. John loves to do this. John loves synonyms. And this is another example of this. So we don't want to get caught up in this side discussion. He's using these words interchangeably. 
If the people on this side of the church came out to me after church and say, how do you feel about your wife, Carol? I'd say, I would love Carol. But you people come up to me and say, how do you feel about your wife, Carol? And I say, I adore Carol. You people say, well, he said something different. He must mean something different. I mean the same thing. I love her. I adore her. Any other word of affection you can throw in there. It's the same thing. And so they're using the same word, different words to say the same thing. It's overlapping. And just in case you're not convinced, I'll give you one more piece of evidence that agapao is not reserved merely for divine love because in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Demas has left me because he loves the world. He agapao the world. So we come to Peter's answer then with the little Bible study behind us. He says, yes, I love you. You know that I love you. Despite my failure, I love you. And notice Peter backs away from that former claim. He doesn't say come anywhere close to saying that he loves him more than he loves his brothers. He is completely embarrassed by that. He feels ashamed for ever saying anything like that. He wants no part of that. And in fact, we read here that he grieves that Christ is asking him the same basic question three times because it reminds him that he denied Christ three times. And so if it's a simple question, if you're simply answering the question, do you love me? He says, Lord, the answer is yes. You know everything. And he knows that Christ sees every thought. He can weigh every motive. He can discern what's true from what's false and from what's fake. And he can't hide. And he can't try to express himself in ways that are not true. He just simply says, you know that I love you. And that's all that Christ needs to ask. He doesn't need to ask you, we need to find out what you believe. We need to talk about repentance. No, that's not the question. Do you love me? But now I need to show you something that is very significant. And it's so easy to miss in this passage, but I think it's the most important insight of this passage. I want you to notice there's a shift in the questions. So look at verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Then the question changes. We come to verse 16. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Verse 17. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Those are two different questions. It's one thing to ask somebody, do you love me more than these? And simply say, do you love me? See, it's a movement. It's a movement from uh, what was centered upon Peter to what should have been centered upon Christ. He's moving Peter from comparing himself in relationship to his brothers and simply asking him to focus on his relationship with Christ. Christ is basically saying, stop comparing yourself to your brothers. Stop looking within to see how much love you, you think you have there compared to others. Simply look to me. And in one sense, what he's doing with that first question is he's breaking Peter down so that in the last two questions, he can build him back up. That first question is meant to expose Peter, to expose his boasting and all of his loyalty and all the supposed devotion that he has. But that last two questions, that last question is meant to encourage him. Because, see, the issue is not about having a superior love. The issue is about having a sincere love. It's not about your love compared to others. It's about the love you have for Christ. And you see, that's the only question. It's the only question. And that's the question that Christ has for you this morning. Do you love me? What does Christ demand of you? 
love. Love. Christ doesn't tell us it has to be a great love. He doesn't say to Peter, okay, Peter, now let's, let's talk about this love. It needs to be impressive. It needs to be bold, awesome, unwavering. He doesn't say that. That's not what he says to us. Think of how our Savior talks to us about faith. Does he say in the Gospels, your faith has to be huge? No, he says a mustard seed. It can be as small as a mustard seed. It can still move mountains. The point is it has to be sincere, not gigantic, not ginormous, sincere. The same is true about hope. Abraham, why is he to be emulated? Because he hoped against hope. That's not a lot of hope. It's still hope. And the same is true with love here. This love can be very modest. It can be small. All that matters is that it is genuine. The point is that, is there any love there at all? And Christ is saying, that will do. I can work with that. In other words, true love for Christ can be like Peter's love. It can be marked by failure. It can be a love that has faults, that disappoints, that is imperfect. And you see, there's many times when you and I feel like we've lost the love that we had at the first. There's many times we can't say with Psalm 23, my cup is full when it feels empty. And there are times we are struggling with doubts. Or we fall into the same sins. Or we're listening to the world and all of its false promises from its false gods and its false loves. And there are times when we are ashamed of Christ. There are definitely many times that we have failed him and perhaps even times when we have denied him. But all he asks, do you love me? Let's not lose sight of something here, brothers and sisters. What is happening in this passage? Our Savior is not restoring Peter as a disciple. He's restoring him as an apostle in his church. He recommissions him. Here he talks about feeding my sheep tending my flock. You're back in the game. This is a question. Do you love me? And the question for you is, do you think something more is required for you? Peter gets the question, do you love me to be restored as an apostle? What do you think his question is for you? It's the same question. So that's the only question this morning. Do you love him? And if you love him at all, if you love Christ genuinely, everything else seems to kind of fall into place that those who love Christ repent. They repent. We are just heartbroken when we offend somebody that we love. Rarely do we apologize without tears if it's somebody we hold dear and we know that we've really hurt them and injured them. That's what repentance is, is coming to God with a broken heart. That's why God says he loves a broken heart because this is somebody who's upset, not that they got caught, not that their reputation or image is going to be damaged, but because they understand this is an offense against the God that they love. That's a sign of love. If you love Christ, you'll believe. And not just believe, you will run to him and rest upon him. Think of our children when they're young and they're, when they get scared, what do they do? They make a beeline for their parents, take their arms and wrap them around their legs. They know that's where they can go, where they're loved. 
If you love Christ, you will pray. Remember when you first fell in love? You couldn't stop talking to each other. Hours and hours and hours talking. I remember talking on the telephone and getting yet screamed at from my parents. Get off the phone. Talk, talk, talk. If you love somebody, you talk to them. This is the same with a Christian. If you love him, you will pray to him. And not just come to him, but you will pour out your heart to him and draw near to him more and more and more. If you love Christ, you will deny yourself and take up the cross. If you love Christ, you'll put your hand to the plow and you turn your back to the world. If you love Christ, you'll part with anything and everything for his sake. You'll even cut off your right hand. Why? Because you love him. It's love that makes even hard things so much easier and bitter things so much sweeter. That dowry that Saul demanded of David, no problem. Why? Because David loved Michal. Those seven years that Laban said to Jacob, you need to work these seven years for your wife Rachel, went like that. Why? Because Jacob loved her. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love God. Do you love him? It's a simple question, but it's the most searching question I could put to you. The youngest Christian in this room, the youngest babe in Christ, understands that question. But the most experienced saint in this room still finds it a challenging question. It's the good question. It's the right question. And you can ask any Christian about their walk with Christ. And sometimes we say in response, well, I do not always feel like a child of God. I do not always feel born again. Not every day feels like a resurrection day to me. I do not always feel holy and pure. But if you or ask me the question, do you love him? I say, I do. I may not love him as much as I should. I do not love him as much as I want to love him, but I do love him. And I know that there are other Christians who love him more. Other members of this church who love him better than I love him. But I love him. And I know there are others around me who are more faithful and more obedient and more humble. But I love him. And we say, along with J.C. Ryle, how can I not love him? How can I not love Christ? He suffered and died in my place. And he has redeemed me from the guilt and the power of my sin through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And he has forgiven me my sins and accepted me into his family. How can I not love him? He's called me by his spirit. And he opened my eyes so that I would repent of my sins and believe upon him and hope in him. He's delivered me from the world and my sin and my flesh and the devil. How can I not love him? He's given me light. Instead of the darkness in which I was once lost, he's given me peace. Instead of that miserable unrest in which I once experienced, he's given me hope instead of uncertainty and he's given me life. Instead of the death that I most certainly deserve, how could I not love him? And he supplies all that I need. He leads me by his spirit and his truth. He bears with all my weaknesses. He raises me up every time I fall down. He rescues me when I'm drowning. And he even restores me when I deny him. How could I not love him? 
There's only one question this morning. Do you love him? Do you love Christ? If you do, go in peace. Go in peace. And in the confidence that he loves you. With a love that is without measure. A love that is without equal and a love that is without end. He loves you more than anyone else loves you. And that is enough. Let us pray. My gracious God and our Father, we fail, we are weak, we are foolish, we are stubborn, we are proud. But you know all these things, and we agree with Peter that you know everything. <clears throat> but you know that we love you. We love you imperfectly. We love you inconsistently. But we love you. We thank you, Father, for your word and its promises. We thank you for the Lord's Supper that reminds us as well of the greatness of Christ's love for us. And we rest in this. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.